Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we continue the story of Parker Barrows. In part one, the Barrows gang found themselves on the Infamy, the infamous airship belonging to Captain Zip and the Iron Skeeters. We join the two bands of outlaws at the beginning of an epic drinking session. I hope you enjoy the conclusion of Best Laid Plans of Vice and Moonshine, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you once again by Captain Zip and the Iron Skeeters. Captain Zip would like to remind listeners that the following story is completely true. It is just one example of the numerous famous exploits and legendary heists that the Iron Skeeters have pulled off. If you doubt the veracity of this tale, Captain Zip invites you to furnish him with your home address and let him provide you with first-hand proof of his criminal prowess. Their wee things, how much could they knock back? Mad Dog's words sloshed around in the back of Parker's skull. Following the bizarre standoff, the groundlings had become consummate hosts, laying out a real spread for Parker and his gang. When the moonshine started to pour, he had a private chat with Mad Dog and Amelia. They intended to let the groundlings drink themselves into oblivion, murder the lot, and then toss them out the back of the zeppelin. An easy plan. A profitable plan. They're wee things. How much could they knock back? More than enough, Parker soon discovered. When Captain Zip uncorked the bottle, Parker flinched back like he'd been slapped. The acrid scent burned his eyes and nose. At first he thought they'd mistakenly been served kerosene rather than hooch, and said as much. Zip laughed and replied, Only the finest, Mr. Barrows. Despite its chemical stink, the liquid went down Parker's throat like scalding ice, and nearly immediately numbed his senses. By the third double-shot glass, his limbs stopped working, but he'd never felt so alive. Everything around him sang. Light sparkled and danced. By the fourth shot, Parker abandoned all thoughts of murdering Captain Zip and his merry band of gremlins. It would have gone against his moral compass. Despite himself, he'd been won over by their chaotic and prodigious natures, their leader in particular. Liquor flowed and food was served as the hours stretched late into the evening. By midnight, Parker confessed more to Zip than he'd admitted to his best friend. And he wasn't alone in this sincerity. Side by side, Parker and Zip now languished in opulent chairs like two feudal lords. From here, he observed their entire fiefdom of the infamy's mess hall. Dimly, he noticed the Quarrel Sisters curled up with First Mate, 
giggling like a pair of saloon girls as they lay against its bulk. The bewildered Silurid puffed on its cigar, while likely weighing on whether to eat them or not. Mad Dog vainly attempted to teach several gremlins how to sing Irish folk songs. The cacophonous melody could frighten the life out of a banshee, but they acted like they were headlining at the Star Theatre. In one corner, Slick Rick engaged a mahogany coat rack in passionate debate. The coat rack appeared to be winning. Beside him, Doc Mitchell and Earl sullenly exchanged complaints and were likely plotting the deaths of their captors. Amelia lay across the engineer's lap. Either drunk or dead, it was hard to tell. The remaining gang members busied themselves with games of chance, drinking, eating, and generally being a boisterous lot. With everyone in the lounge, Parker briefly wondered who kept this flying monstrosity from slamming into the side of a mountain. Captain Zip refilled his glass, and the troubling thought faded into alcoholic forgetfulness. Zip wore Parker's hat, his green face hidden beneath its enormous brim. Only his ears stuck out, like a pair of cabbage leaves. "'You's a true gentleman, Mr. Barrows,' Zip chimed with sober clarity. On the other hand, Parker sounded like he was speaking through an ether-soaked rag. "'And you're a refined host, Captain Zip. Zip. Been some time since we were treated this kindly.' The gremlin dipped his head beneath his hat and raised his glass. I'm going to call my doubts on that swill, sir. You and your mates are even famous in the bayou. Parker shrugged. Infamous, more like. And any sort who paid attention to us usually won a six feet under. Few appreciate civilized men like you and I, Zip sighed. More's the pity. Parker touched glasses with Zip and then down the liquid flames. Gravity played havoc with him, tugging him off his chair. He steadied himself and blinked away the numbness, only to find his glass brimming over once again. He also realized Zip had asked something. Sorry, he ventured. You've accomplished many grand heists, but you have any schemes you regret giving up on? Zip repeated. Parker thought on this for a moment, and then chuckled deepening the gremlin's interest. In fact, yes, he said. Last time I was this drunk, I planned on pinching the hanging tree. Zip pushed the hat's brim back. The one in Malifaux City? One and only. Got far too many friends who ended up in the damn jail. He downed his glass and sank into the chair's plush warmth. I wanted to make the governor pay for him. And what better way than nipping his prized possession from right under his nose? Zip tugged on the end of his pointed ear, thoughtful and oddly silent. Parker closed his eyes for a moment, only to see the ghosts of Crooked Tooth Peter and Sally Yarrow lazily twisting beneath the pale boughs. Their milky eyes stared at him accusingly, lips curled back in rictus. He washed them away with another swig. And you, Captain? Anything you should regret? He said. If Zip answered, Parker didn't hear him. An enticing numbness drifted over him, tugging him down, down into the shadows, and the shadows welcomed him and wouldn't let go. This time he surrendered to them without complaint.
Parker jolted awake, his head feeling four sizes too big. Someone was shaking his arm, but the roaring locomotive in his skull vied for his full attention. Acid blistered his stomach and throat and threatened to spill out of him. If he wasn't dead and in hell, he wished someone would graciously rectify that oversight post-haste. Mr. Barrows! The voice cut through an unyielding din of gunfire and pain. With a predator's instinct, he grabbed his gun and placed its muzzle beneath the speaker's chin. This won him some blessed quiet. Not smart waking a man from his hangover, he muttered. Parker's blurry eyes focused until he made out Earl Burns' face through the alcoholic haze. The engineer's frantic expression went far beyond that of a man with a gun in his face. Another roar of guns and explosions shook the airship, followed by distant whoops and cheers. Parker forced himself up as he put his gun away, much to Earl's relief. What in December's snowy ass was that? As I was trying to say, Mr. Barrows, there's trouble outside. You need to talk some sense into the captain. Parker fumbled around as though he had forgotten how to use his legs. The room spun for a moment as the ice pick of pain stabbed deeper into his eyes. He swallowed down the nausea. The airship's constant swaying didn't help matters much. The slurry of moonshine inside him churned like a whirlpool. Beyond the stateroom's porthole, the horizon blazed with thousands of gas lamps, each competing with the night sky's unnatural hues. Lines of towers stood like sentinels, their harsh architecture jumbled together like some insane child's building blocks. Here and there, holes of darkness yawned wide and threatening. His stomach tightened even more. Surely he wasn't seeing what he thought he was. Malifaux City, in all its grotesque splendor. Parker suddenly sobered up real quick. Talk to them about what, he said as he hurried to the small window. Stealing the hanging tree, sir, Earl said while following him. Captain Zip said you and he had discussed the plan last night, but now the guard has shown up and... He thrust a crumbled piece of paper into Parker's hand. It was filled with crude drawings of the hanging tree, the Governor General's mansion, and an oblong tube with flowery doodads, which he suspected was the infamy. Different coloured lines swirled and slashed over the paper, which formed rudimentary directions for tiny stick figures. Get me to the hangar. Now. Earl led Parker through the infamy's opulent interior. They passed gremlins and banditos alike. Some acknowledged the pair, but most were too involved in the gun battle. The hangar wasn't much better, now emptied of its flying machines. The crew had erected crude barricades along the gangplank and shot anything that moved. One gremlin operated the Gatling gun, constantly being fed ammunition. Brass casings rolled around the floor which added to the uneven footing. Doc Mitchell did what he did best and cowered in a corner. Cautiously, Parker walked to the gangplank's edge and stared down. The infamy hovered fifty feet above the grey-black branches of the hanging tree. Even at this distance, the gnarled behemoth made for an intimidating sight. Thick roots spread out over the muddy hill, as if tree and ground were all part of one bizarre beast. Age-old hanging ropes swayed among its boughs like tattered webs. 
Fortunately, they were unoccupied at the moment, the leafless tree devoid of its grisly human decorations. Iron skeeters swirled and flew around the hanging tree like blowflies on a corpse. Several threw ropes and chains onto the tree's limbs and trunk, which were in turn connected to the airship. With a lurch, the infamy's engines roared and the riggings went taut, trying desperately to pull the hanging tree from its foundations. Much to Parker's surprise, the airship seemed to be slowly winning this tug-of-war. Down below, human and gremlin gang members were locked in a raging gunfight with multiple guild deputies. Both groups had taken cover behind stacks of mud, and the brick and wrought iron fence circling the hanging tree's base. The guards were hopelessly outmatched and likely knew it, but time was on their side. Even in the darkness, Parker saw over a dozen guardsmen running up the dirt road from the Governor General's opulent and sprawling estate. Occasionally, a skeeter broke formation and strafed them, which gave them collective pause. Even so, it'd only be a matter of time before they'd make a real mess of things. An arcing flash caught Parker's attention, as Zip's lightning gun sparked across the battlefield. He fought back a wry smile. He could almost hear the gremlin's theatrical banter from up here. As absurd as all this was, he had to admit that things were leaning in their favour. Not bad for some drunken scrolls. You see, sir, Earl said, they've gone completely mad. Well, Mr. Burns, sometimes madness comes with the territory, Parker laughed. He caught the attention of the gremlin on the gatling gun. What's your name? Bit near, sir. Bitten. I need you to keep them busy. Got it? Parker pointed towards the guardsman coming up the road. Bittenier, face darkened with gunpowder, smiled brightly. Yes, sir, boss. The massive gun swiveled and belched forth a violent stream of bullets. Even at this distance, one of the guardsmen caught the full brunt of it, pirouetting back in a mist of blood. The other men and women scattered like startled rabbits, ducking behind anything solid. Parker joined in the fun, and blasted away as fast as his revolvers could manage. The guardsmen on the hill tried to return fire, but had little chance of being effective, with the sheer volume of shooting coming their way. A few stray bullets ricocheted off the hangar's ramp, much to Earl's concern. The infamy lurched forward again, and a human rumble echoed across the hill as the hanging tree's roots began surrendering their terrestrial grip. I'll be damned, Parker thought. We're actually going to do this. Perhaps fate heard him and decided to punish his prideful ways. Runes along the tree's limbs and trunk flared to life, bathing the hill in a sickly light. A low, inhuman howl rang out from nowhere and everywhere, as if a wounded beast had roused from its slumber after having its limbs torn from its body. From his elevated position... Parker saw the distant breach shudder to life. Its cobalt glow convulsed and churned, shedding its hypnotic tranquility for increasing violence. The air pressed down on him, electric and heavy, like a storm about to break. Everyone in the hangar sensed the invading presence. Their attention shifted toward this rare spectacle. Parker took the telescope from a gremlin spotter's numb fingers, he raised it to his eye and focused on the breach. Its edges pulsed in time with the hanging tree's runes, 
ever faster, intensifying until everything simply stopped. Both the hanging tree and the breach returned to normalcy, as if someone had blown out a candle, yet the menacing aura remained thick in the air. As Parker watched, a ragged man appeared in the road as if from nowhere. At least it looked like a man. His scarified flesh, pale as grave worms, smoldered and stretched over his bones like old leather. A stained burlap hood obscured his features. Two pits of ghastly light stared out through crude eye-slits, ablaze with unrepentant malice. His head loosely lolled with each lurching step. A thick rope dimpled his throat and dragged behind him like a broken leash. Jack Daw. The name came unbidden to Parker's lips. Impossibly, as if hearing him, the Revenant's unholy gaze turned toward Parker. Daw lifted a pallid hand and pointed in his direction. Parker could have sworn that Daw said something. Bitten, you get everyone back on board. Parker's voice nearly trembled. To his credit, Bittenia saluted him and began barking orders to his comrades. Parker rushed over and grabbed one of the mooring lines, testing his weight on it. Earl, get to the wheel and fly us out of here the instant we're free from the tree. Earl's eyes shone with confused fear. But the first mate... I don't care. Just get this rig ready to move or we're all dead. He waved his pistol at Doc Mitchell. And you get ready for some serious doctrine. We're going to need it. Before either man could respond, Parker leapt into the cool night air. He did not repel so much as plummet toward the ground like a shotgunned quail. The bone-jarring impact came shockingly quick, rattling his teeth and filling his mouth with blood. He lay on the cold dirt and struggled to get up. Pain bathed his ankle, but nothing seemed to be broken. Sensing an easy kill, a guardsman rushed at Parker. He rose and shot the deputy through the heart for his troubles. Ignoring the dying man, he turned and shambled toward the motley crew of banditos and gremlins while dragging his throbbing leg through the mud. Such glory, such splendor. Zip could not be prouder of himself and his companions. With one deft stroke of genius and cunning, they had achieved the impossible and set new heights of criminality. As the hanging tree began being uprooted, he felt an overwhelming sense of elation, bordering on the immodest. His name would ring out across Malifaux and strike fear into the hearts of all. True, this had been Mr. Barrow's plan, but it was he, Sky Pirate Zip, who'd possessed the wherewithal to recognize it as an opportunity to bind the Iron Skeeters and Barrow's gang into one cohesive unit of skullduggery. So, by default, this rousing success rested squarely upon his shoulders. Even the hanging tree seemed to sense his superiority. Its entire body exploded with an unsettling light display. No matter. Zip would not be denied his prize. He was musing over their impending victory when someone leapt out of the infamy's hangar. They did little to slow their descent as they spiralled and crashed into the hillside. Much to Zip's surprise, he realized it was Mr. Barrows himself. Even wounded, the gunslinger dispatched an assailant with ease and limped over to Zip and the others, 
Zip smiled. Mr. Barrows, you decided to join. Parker talked over him. No time. We've got to get out of here now. He pointed where Jack Dorr strode up the dirt road, slow and inevitable as death itself. Jaundiced mist and shadows coiled around his bare feet. As he drew closer, the hanging tree's branches began shivering in anticipation. Rotted corpses coalesced beneath its boughs. Their transparent forms swayed with increasing wildness. Miasma filled the air, burning Zip's nose and tongue with its bitterness. Now, Parker repeated, and remove myself from this great story? I think not, Mr. Barrows. Besides, we need to untether the infamy first. Then we better get to work, since you can fly, I'll cover you. Zip hesitated barely a moment, reluctant to surrender his great prize. A further glance toward the unsettling apparition convinced him, and he joined Parker in rushing toward their comrades, trying to get their attention. Most remained focused, frozen in place out of fear or wonder on the approaching spectre, and with good reason. Across the hill, Jack Dorr reached an unsuspecting guardsman. He grabbed the first man by the hair and yanked his head back so sharply that the guard's throat tore open in a spritz of blood. The sound of gargling screams alerted the other guards, who turned their weapons toward the hanged man. They may as well have been shooting into thin air. The second deputy died instantly. Jack's backhanded blow staved in the side of his skull. The third, a fair-haired woman, was tossed aside like a porcelain doll to break on the wet cobblestones. The world sped up again, focusing Zip's vision and purpose. He leapfrogged up the hill toward the tree, while Parker struggled to keep pace. They reached the first line, where Mad Dog, the Quarrel Sisters, and a few gremlins crouched behind a broken wall. Decided to grace us with your beautiful mug, have you? Mad Dog snapped. Grand plan you two dreamt up. Parker opened his mouth but swallowed his retort. Instead, he pointed toward the thick ropes. We need to untie the airship. Think you can handle that? After all the trouble we've gone through? Jack Dorr's here, Parker said. Mad Dog's jaw tightened at the name. We're on it. He nudged the gremlin beside him with the butt of his shotgun, right? The gremlin seemed confused and looked to Zip for confirmation. Boss? A proper change of strategy is called for. Do as the ugly one says, Zip replied. Pass the word if you would. The small group carefully followed Mad Dog until they reached the closest ropes, while the Quarrel Sisters laid down some covering fire though their efforts were unneeded. The remaining guardsmen were far too busy dealing with Jack Dorr to care about more terrestrial threats. Cut the other ropes, I'll get our people, Parker said as he rolled over the wall and headed toward the farthest group of banditos and gremlins. They were already working to free the infamy. Zip fired up his jetpack and launched up into the air. Up ahead, a pair of iron skeeters shot frantically at Jack Dorr. Zip watched as the Revenant lassoed one of the flying machines and yanked it from the sky. The rider and machine smashed into the hanging tree and exploded upon impact. Burning fuel rained down upon the hill. Screams erupted as the flames washed over several gremlins. He drew a small knife attached to his jetpack and flew up into the tree's branches. 
He avoided eye contact with Jack Dorr as he frantically hacked away the remaining ropes from their grappling hooks. Most snapped away from the ship and its dangerous prize relatively easily. Unfortunately, the last rope came away at high tension, struck Zip's forearm and sent him spinning into the mud. A terrified scream brought Zip back from the brink of unconsciousness. Some dozen yards away, a hideous tug of war played out. Parker gripped Amelia's legs, fighting to keep her with him. Jack Dawes' hanging rope curled around her neck and dragged her back toward the wrought iron fence. She struggled to cut away the rope until both her and Parker's strength gave way. The hangman yanked her body from the sky and impaled her on the fence posts. Zip found his footing and launched himself across the hill. Just as he landed, Jack Dawes' rope snaked out of the darkness and wrapped around Parker's wounded ankle, yanking him toward the bloodied fence. Somehow the gunslinger managed to empty his six-shooter into the hanged man, which won him an all-too-brief reprieve. Zip rushed over and began hacking away at the cord. Don't fear, Mr. Barrows. I'll have you out of here momentarily. But the blade passed through the rope as if it wasn't there. Ineffectual. He may as well have been cutting at the air. Parker groaned as he reloaded his pistol. Thanks, but that's not going to work. Sure enough, the rope went taut again, and Parker was forcibly dragged halfway up the fence. He cried out as the metal sliced through his leg. Zip turned and gazed right into Jack Dawes' soulless face. He stood only a few yards away, reeling Parker in like a catfish as he echoed out incoherent spouts of rage. Without thinking, Zip thrust his gun between the iron bars and pulled the trigger. Lightning arched across the hill and enveloped Jack Dawes' body. An ear-splitting howl rang out from every direction. The Revenant's body was thrown back in a twitching tangle of burnt flesh. The rope around Parker's ankle loosened, releasing him. Parker fell to the ground, grunting in pain. Zip put his good arm under Parker and helped him to his feet. In that brief moment, Jack Dorr had already recovered and stalked forward, rope in hand. Mine. The word echoed out like a knife dragging against skin. Neither Zip nor Parker knew if he was talking about them or the tree, but they weren't willing to stick around to find out. Hang on, Mr. Barrows, Zip said, snagging the man's belt. Parker immediately recognized his intention. Captain Zip, I don't think this is entirely wise. And that's why it'll work. Zip fired his jet back at full throttle streaking up toward the infamy in a roaring column of fire and smoke. His wounded arm snapped like kindling under the added weight. White-hot pain blinded him. He hissed through the agony. Every muscle in his body strained as he piloted them toward the open hangar bay. They spiraled and jolted wildly, soon completely out of control. The darkness returned, edging out his perceptions as the infamy hurtled at them far too quickly. Despite his pain, Captain Zip felt oddly reassured. No matter what happened, people would be talking about this event for some time to come. Parker's appreciation for Gremlin Moonshine was bolstered as he drunkenly observed Doc Mitchell's needle and thread stitch his leg back together. He downed another shot and leaned back against the metallic bulkhead. 
He'd been assured he'd live, as would the other injured survivors. However, the same couldn't be said for Amelia, Slick Rick, and half a dozen gremlins. Parker felt a twinge of guilt having been forced to leave them behind, their bodies now morbid additions to the hanging tree. All thanks to the oversight of that damned Jack Dawe, whatever he might be. Maybe it was the booze talking, but Parker vowed to pay Dawe back in full, and then some. And how are you feeling, Mr. Barrows? Captain Zip asked as he limped over. His left arm hung in a sling, its fingers swollen up like breakfast sausages. I'll live, considering. And how are you and the ship, Captain? The infamy is in tip-top, Mr. Barrows. We're making speed to the town your second mate mentioned. Should be there within a day or so. That's good to hear, Parker replied. An uncomfortable silence fell between them. Zip broke it first. They'll be talking about this for some time to come, Mr. Barrows. It shall be a tale for the ages. I suppose it might, Parker said. Our notoriety will grow. The legendary Iron Skeeters and Barrows gang. Brave souls who tweak the guild's nose and live to tell about it. Not sure if that's worth a few people's lives, Captain Zip. It's the life we live, Mr. Barrows, Zip said, nodding confidently. The edge of his mouth curled up. Besides, we'll be better prepared for the next heist. The next heist? Zip's infectious smile grew. Of course, Mr. Barrows. One cannot deny the natural camaraderie shared by our two groups. It'd be a tragedy of criminal proportions to end this lucrative association. There are far too many opportunities for fame and fortune to be shared. Parker's automatic retort fell silent on his tongue. He glanced around the Zeppelin's hangar taking in the sights and sounds of his people and Zips working together, laughing and joking together, replaying their near death with humour and pride. He recalled their first night and the liberty of being among peers. But mostly he remembered how Zip had plucked him from the jaws of death without any regard for himself. He'd be a right bastard to turn his back on that. That there are, he said, as he extended his hand. But next time, let's make sure we're sober. With his good arm, Zip pumped his hand vigorously. Agreed, Mr. Parker. So, partners then? Let's not go that far, Parker said. Zip's face grew crestfallen, so he quickly added, But I say we're definitely friends, you and I, Captain. Zip laughed and took Parker's hand, squeezing firmly. Two friends then. Friends. Zip's eyes glinted roguishly. And to profitable mischief? Oh, that goes without saying, Captain. That goes without saying. That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.